You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open the word of our God together. We turn to the second book of Kings, chapter 11. And there the word of our God reads as follows. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead... She proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah so he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Asaliah ruled the land. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commanders of the units of a hundred, the Karaites and the guards, and had them brought to him at the temple of the Lord. He made a covenant with them and put them under oath at the temple of the Lord. Then he showed them the king's son. He commanded them, saying, this is what you are to do. You who are in the three companies that are going on duty on the Sabbath, a third of you guarding the royal palace, a third at the sir gate, and a third at the gate behind the guard, who take turns guarding the temple. And you who are in the other two companies that normally go off Sabbath duty are all to guard the temple for the king. Station yourselves around the king, each man with his weapon in his hand, Anyone who approaches your ranks must be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. The commanders of units of a hundred did just as Jehoiada the priest ordered. Each one took his men, those who were going on duty on the Sabbath and those who were going off duty, and came to Jehoiada the priest. Then he gave the commanders the spears and shields that had belonged King David And they were in the temple of the Lord. The guards, each with his weapon in his hand, stationed themselves around the king near the altar and the temple from the south side to the north side of the temple. Jehoiada brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. He presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him. And the people clapped their hands and shouted, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise made by the guards and the people, she went to the people at the temple of the Lord. She looked, and there was the king standing by the pillar as the custom was. The officers and the trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her robes and called out, Treason! Treason! Jehoiada the priest ordered the commanders of units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops Bring her out between the ranks and put to the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest had said she must not be put to death in the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the place where the horses enter the palace grounds. And there she was put to death. Jehoiada then made a covenant between the Lord and the king and people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. All the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. 
They smashed the altars and idols to pieces and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Then Jehoiada the priest posted guards at the temple of the Lord. He took with him the commanders of hundreds, the Karites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And together they brought the king down from the temple of the Lord and went into the palace, entering by way of the gate of the guards. The king then took his place on the royal throne, and all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet, because Athaliah had been slain with the sword at the palace. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. Well, of the congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ on The surface, the birth of our Savior and everything nearby that leads up to it is often depicted as a very quaint and heartwarming affair. In the year before it happens, there are angelic visitations, surprises for old folks, dramatic encounters for young folks. There is song, singing, and socializing. There was also surprise, as well as short-term confusion. Yes, and when the grand event happens, there is more interesting stuff. A baby is born in a barn or in a cave, put to sleep in an animal feeding trough. Shepherds come to visit. Wise men appear bringing gifts. Angels sing nearby. Why, there is drama and excitement enough for a really good movie script. It's all so magical and marvelous. And truly for many people, even for many Christians, this is a time of year when the only things that dominate their minds are joy, peace, celebration, and a lot of associated fuzzy feelings. And of course, there is a place for all of these things. Who wants to be a killjoy at this time of year? Who wants to walk in the shoes of Scrooge? Who wants to reign on this lovely parade of events? And naturally, none of us do. And yet, there is another side to the story. There is a dark side, a downside. There is evil King Herod who has all those little children in Bethlehem put to death. There is an angelic warning and a hasty exit for the wise men. There is fear and a hurried flight to Egypt for the Messianic family. You see, the full story of Christmas is not quite as pretty as we often think it is. Yes, and also the story of everything that precedes it is not so pretty either. Actually, the road to Bethlehem is rather rocky and bumpy. And that goes for more than just Mary and Joseph going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Indeed, all of the Old Testament, in a way, is nothing more than a long, dusty, windy road 
to David's city. And it's a road filled with potholes and hairpin turns and detours and roadblocks and near misses. You see, the Advent Road is often dangerous. And that means, too, you realize it's never boring. For look at our Advent Road of this morning. What is it all about but treachery and murder, close calls and conspiracy, justice and restoration? Oh, and notice something else as well. Notice what gets the whole ball rolling here in our text. What is it? Well, it's a kidnapping. It's a royal kidnapping. It's a lady kidnapper. In other words, you can say our text this morning begins with a crime. But it is, as we shall see in a moment, a crime that saves Christmas. And to catch the full import of that, I would like to preach to you on the following theme. The kidnapper who saves Christmas. And we shall see that God introduces us first to a lady who steals a child. Secondly, a priest who crowns a king. Thirdly, a queen who meets a sword. And finally, a people who renew a covenant. Well, beloved, our text, as we said, opens with a crime. It's a crime that's described for us in verse 2, but Jehoshaba, the king, or the daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes. Take note of those words, stole him away. No matter how you color it, those words refer to a kidnapping. They refer to a violation of the 8th and 10th commandment of God's law. They refer to an offense which, if caught, is punishable actually by death. Who commits this crime? Well, the perpetrator is rather clearly identified. It's a lady named Jehoshaphat. A royal lady, no less, for she is the daughter of one king and a sister to another king. And in addition, she is a royal lady who is also related to the victim. She is his aunt. You see, this isn't just a royal kidnapping. It's a royal family kidnapping. Obviously, then, it's a rather strange affair. What in the world is going on here? Why does an aunt kidnap her nephew? Why does royalty steal royalty? Well, the answer, beloved, can be found in verse 1. There it says that when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. Who is Athaliah? She is, it says, the mother of Ahaziah. In other words, she is the mother of King Ahaziah, king of Judah. And you can read about this king earlier in 2 Kings chapter 8 and 9 and about just how he was killed as well. In any case, when King Ahaziah dies, his mother goes off the deep end. She decides to put the whole royal family, including members of her very own family, 
to death. Is she stark raving mad? Is she so power hungry? It would appear so. And of course, in the annals of human history, she is not alone. To protect themselves and to preserve their power, kings and queens have often murdered others, even murdered the members of their own family. Think of King Herod. There's no limit to their extreme behavior. But still, power lust doesn't tell the whole story. But there's more to this Athaliah. And not only is she a demented queen mother, she is also a religiously perverted queen mother. For consider what we read elsewhere about her and about her pedigree. Athaliah is by blood a daughter of King Ahab. The jury is out as to whether or not she is a daughter of both Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Some scholars think so, some say no. But be that as it may, even with Ahab as her father, she has enough poison running in her veins already. And if Jezebel's blood runs there as well, well then we've got double trouble. For who is King Ahaz and who is Queen Jezebel? He's just about the worst king to ever sit on a royal throne. And she's just about the worst queen imaginable. I've done many a baptism over the year. I've never yet baptized, thankfully, a Jezebel. And I hope I never have. And I probably would refuse. For together they represent Ahab and Jezebel, everything that is evil and that is despicable. As a couple, they're grasping and cruel, vindictive, cold-blooded, scheming and murderous. It's hard to come up with a more treacherous royal couple. And it's also hard to find a more idolatrous couple. For together, as you can read elsewhere, they turn their back on the worship of Yahweh, the true God. They violate his holy will. They introduce and promote the cult of Baal. They murder all of the prophets of Baal, except perhaps for Elijah. They set up a false priesthood in Israel. Truly, what we see in them is nothing else than the seed of the serpent raising its ugly head. You remember at the dawn of human history, God had predicted a long, great, and intense struggle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And time and time again, the devil pulls out all of the stops to destroy the saints and the Savior. And in the process, he often uses wicked people, like Ahab and Jezebel, to do his dirty work. Yes, and here in our text, it's also their daughter who's doing the dirty work. She walks in the footsteps of her disgusting parents. 
She decides to kill all of Ahaziah's family, all of her own offspring too, all of the royal line. Quite simply, she's going to make sure that not a descendant of King David remains to sit upon the royal throne. His line is slated for complete and utter annihilation. How revolting. But yet also how dangerous. For think about it, if no one is left of David's line, and humanly speaking, the Messiah can no longer come to Israel. God had promised David in 2 Samuel 7 that one day his great son would sit on his throne. But if David's offspring are no more, then the promise is no more either. And if David's son doesn't come, then also Abraham's son, who is supposed to spread blessings to the nations, will not come either. Then the messianic future is dead. And all is darkness. And there will never ever be peace upon the earth. You see at just what kind of a critical juncture we are here in our text. If Athaliah succeeds, all is lost. Lost for David. Lost for Judah. Lost for us. And even lost for the world. But praise to God. All is not lost. For what does God do? He raises up a godly kidnapper in the person of Jehoshaphat. See, all of a sudden steps on the stage of history and she steals Prince Joash before he can be put to the sword. It even says in our text what she did with him. For six long years she hid him away. And where did she hide him? Well, it says in the temple of all places. In that vast complex she found a room for the child and for his nurse. And that's where he lived and that's where he grew while Athaliah reigned and ravaged the land. And you can imagine in the meantime the people, and in particular the faithful remnant, must have despaired. Those poor people probably lost all hope. As far as they were concerned, David's line is finished, and so are we. The Messiah is never, ever going to come. There's nothing left to build on to hope for, to look forward to. It's also dark and futile. For a lot of people, those six years must have been six long, terrible, hard, depressing years. Little did they know 
that while they were despairing, God had used a courageous, gutsy lady by the name of Jehoshaphat, whom he used to save Christmas. But no, too, he's using more than simply Jehoshaphat. He's also using her husband. For Jehoshaphat is married to a priest by the name of Jehoiada, and he is no couch potato either. For those six long years, while she, through the nurse, was taking care of Joash, he was busy planning, plotting, and scheming. And finally, in the seventh year, he springs into action. You can read it in our text. He summons the commanders of the royal guards of the temple. A secret meeting takes place in which they come to an agreement. He has them swear an oath and then he unveils the great secret. A son of Ahaziah is alive after all. A crown prince has survived Athaliah's slaughter. So what next? Jehoiada has the commanders divide their troops into three companies at the right time and he assigns them to take their stations at strategic places around the temple and the city. And thereafter he brings out the king's son and Jehoiada introduces him as Joash and crowns him. A priest crowns a king. And then he gives him a copy of the the covenant of the Lord, which is supposed to govern his personal life, as well as show him how he is to rule the nation. And the result? There is once more a son of David on David's throne. God's promises to Abraham and to David are not dead. After all, and indeed we are reminded here in a most exciting manner that actually God's promises never die. Well, sometimes we think they do. Sometimes Israel thought they did. Sometimes it does really look in the history of salvation as if all is lost and hopeless. Often it looks in history as if the devil has won. But again, beloved, appearances are deceiving. For you know, even when we see or notice nothing at all, God is working. Even when tyrants and dictators are reigning, God is busy with his own plans and preparations. Remember, while Pharaoh rules, what is God doing? He's raising up a Moses in the wilderness. While the Philistines are plundering the land of promise, what is God doing? He is cultivating a David among the sheep. While Ahab and Jezebel are corrupting the nation, God is preserving an Elijah in the wilderness. And here, while an Athaliah sits on the throne of Judah, God is growing a Joash right under her very nose in the temple. You see, there's even some humor here. Imagine that. 
growing a successor to wicked Queen Asaliah right under her nose because the palace and the temple stand side by side in Jerusalem. And you know, you see the same kind of thing today, beloved. We look around and what do we see today but constant political maneuvering and non-stop doom and gloom from Wall Street and Bay Street, as well as Islamic fundamentalism rocking the world with its bloody explosions again. And we ask ourselves today, who reigns? It looks at times as if the forces of violence and evil are ruling supreme. But be assured... That behind them all, God is still at work. He's not on a holiday. He hasn't called it quits. He's still building on his ancient promises. He's still ruling and reigning the world through his son, Jesus Christ. He's still at work. And in the process, he's also something else. He's administering justice. Or if he's not administering it, he's preparing to do so. Our text tells us that when Queen Azaliah heard the trumpets and the rejoicing, she panicked. It says, and I think again, some wicked humor there, that Athaliah tore her robes and called out treason, treason. Funny thing, isn't it? Here is a lady who is the epitome of all treason and treachery, crying wolf. Eventually the troops take her out. They march her out of the temple area. And they put her to death. The vengeance and the justice of the Lord finds her out. And does her in. And really, if you think of it, that's always what happens. It often appears, as I mentioned earlier, as if tyrants, dictators, crooks, and terrorists are the real winners and victors. Often they have the power, the money, the influence, the following. Everything goes their way. Why, I'm sure that for a while, after she got rid of what she thought was all of the royal family, Queen Athaliah thought she was on top of the world. She probably dined on steak every night and sipped choice wines and dressed to the hilt and threw riotous parties. She's a winner, is she not? She has nothing to fear. Isn't that right? Just sit back on your comfortable throne, Queen Assy, and enjoy life. But what she forgets, what all tyrants forget, is that there is a day of reckoning coming for all men. For ordinary people, but also especially for queens, princes, presidents, dictators, and tyrants. If not in this life, then one day in the life to come, 
They will all be summoned before the throne of the Lamb. And then it will be justice time. Indeed. So, beloved, if there are days when you get frustrated and restless with the slow pace of God's justice, try to learn some patience. Realize that our Savior doesn't rule according to our agendas or meet according to our deadlines. He's the great sovereign who rules wisely according to his plan. And be assured that this plan includes righteousness for the nations and justice for the peoples. Athaliah's day of reckoning comes in the form of a sword that is actually dispatched from the throne of heavenly justice. But then if rescue work and justice flow from the throne of God, so does covenant fellowship with his people. You notice the verses 17 to 21 tell us about this. They speak about a covenant thereafter being made between the Lord, the King, and the people. They, they speak about a covenant commitment on the part of the people to the King. They also speak about a temple of Baal being torn down, about altars and idols being smashed and a priest killed. And finally, these verses speak about King Joash marching from the temple to the palace and taking his seat on the royal throne. And then at last we read there is peace and there is rejoicing in the realm. A new era has dawned in Judah. But notice, it's an era built on the twin pillars of renewal and reform. First, the covenant between God, king, and people is not so much made as it is renewed. Israel remembers her roots and her heritage. She recalls what she promised long ago at Mount Sinai. She recommits herself to her covenant Lord and Father. And then along with covenant renewal, there is reform. A concerted effort is made to cleanse the land of its idolatries and bales. And some who read this may take exception to the destruction described in verse 18 and ask, was this really necessary? But isn't that always the way? For truth to triumph, evil has to be repulsed. For God to be God, idols have to go. For Jesus to be Lord of your life, all the other lords have to disappear. Holy devotion calls for unholy demolition. Oh, and when we read about this happening in Judah, we may also long for the day it might happen in our own land, 
You might ask the question, when will Canada turn its back from its godless, materialistic, immoral, and increasingly idolatrous ways? When will Reformation come to our land? When will the false religions be no more? And when will all the cults of humanism and secularism go the way of the cult of Baal? Does it have to wait until the dawning of a new heaven and a new earth? Or will it come sooner? Truly, you and I don't know, do we? But then in our ignorance, we don't despair either. For at bottom, we're sure and certain that while we may not know, our God is Father. He knows. And you know, as long as He knows, that should be enough for us. It should be enough to keep us singing. It should be enough to keep us praying and working and celebrating. It should be enough to keep us remembering and reminiscing about what happened before the first advent. For as we see, God did the most amazing things to keep the road to Bethlehem open. Why, even used a kidnapper. A kidnapper who rescued a prince to keep salvation and hope alive. And today... Today, he's using his son to keep it all alive. Jesus is reigning. Jesus is working. Jesus is recruiting. Jesus is marching on to the new Jerusalem. And therefore, beloved, use also this time of year to renew your commitment to him and teach your children To do the same. For what is Christmas but the feast of the great son of David, whose line was rescued, whose crown was preserved, whose throne was kept? Truly, one day, the words of the elder in the book of Revelation will come true for all to see. But the elder says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, look, he's conquered and triumphed. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.